right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fuck adelics? What the fucking adians? What the fuckeristas? I could go, oh man, I could go on forever, but I'm not. I feel like I should. I feel like I should read all of them or do all of them, but I can't remember all of them because this is a special day, but I'm not going to do that. Why is today special? Today is the 400th episode of WTF. 400. I've never done 400 anythings before. It's an amazing undertaking, an amazing accomplishment. 400 episodes of WTF, and this is the 400th one. Oh my God. Look, I wanted you to hear, I wanted to be in the garage. I wanted to be at home. I wanted to be, you know, sort of in the element, but things didn't go that way. I'm not in the garage for my 400th show. I'm in New York, New York City. I had no idea I was going to be in New York City. It was not the plan to be in New York City. A lot of things went down. Today on the show, on the 400th episode, Iggy Pop is here, and that is a, a landmark. Is that the word I want? I don't know what the word is, but I always wanted to interview Iggy Pop my whole life, ever since I became a fan of his. I was not a fan when I was in high school, but later I became completely uh, engaged with Iggy Pop and the menace and the, uh, the sexual insanity and the amazing rock and roll of the Stooges and of Iggy and his being. And I thought, man, I'd always like to talk to that guy. And when people would ask me, who do you want to interview? I would say, I want to interview Iggy Pop. And then that happened. But let me tell you what happened leading up to that. Let me try to tell you why I'm in New York City. I really wanted to be in my garage for the 400th. I really did. That's the weird thing about doing 400 episodes of WTF and having become known as an interview guy, having started humbly doing stand-up comedy, which I still do, which is why I am in New York City. I plan to go back to Los Angeles from Buffalo. I was just in Buffalo, New York. And I got to tell you, I had a great time in Buffalo, New York. You know, they're a little down on themselves up there, and people are down on Buffalo. They think it's some decaying Rust Belt town or city. Uh, it may be that, but it is a pretty warm, uh, you know, beautiful place, very good people, some uh, really shitty great food, and, and Niagara Falls. And I got to tell you, man, I mean, I ate some chicken wings at the source. I didn't go to the Anchor Bar but I went to the Duff's, which I'm not going to get into an argument with anybody. You know, the chicken wings are good. They're fine. But, you know, the cat's out of the bag, okay? Anybody can get Frank's hot sauce. But I enjoyed the wings. I had beef on Weck. I didn't know what that was. Weck is, a, uh, is an abbreviation for some kind of bread. I went to what seemed to be a slightly comforting haunted house called uh, Schwabbles. Yes, since 1837. I, it wouldn't kill him to update some of the decor, but the roast beef on the roll... Awesome. Went to Ted's Hot Dogs. Awesome. On the grill. All good. By the time I got to Anderson's Frozen Custard, I was so consumed with self-hatred that I don't know if they had really experienced somebody like me at Anderson's Frozen Custard in Buffalo, New York. I'm not sure they'd ever witnessed somebody waiting to order and looking up at the menu with nothing but like, oh, fuck this. Are you, are you kidding me with that face going up to that window and having a chipper ice cream server say, what can I get you? Can I help you? No, nothing here is going to help. It's barely going to taste good, even if it's amazing. It's not going to help. I have a caramel sundae. And now I'm coming back in, the, in an hour to discuss my shame. So I guess the point I want to make 
is that nothing has really changed that much for me as a person other than everything. But the basic wiring and the basic life is the same here at 400 episodes. I really appreciate the fact that so many people get so much out of this show. I really appreciate those of you who are listening to this part of the show right now. I'm trying not to have contempt with people, for people. I'm trying not to have Twitter fights with my friends that are entertaining but painful. But I don't think that I'm going to succeed at that. There's such a fine line between contempt and empathy. And I experienced that at Niagara Falls. I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, but it's spectacular. And by the way, I was staying at a hotel that I think really had the same personality as a, as a uh, heroin addict who no longer did heroin. Like I was in that place, the Lafayette Hotel, and I'm like, this place was in bad shape at one time. I can feel it. I can. I know they, they, you know, they gutted it, they renovated it, but some things you can't get out. Something, you know, you just, I don't know, this, this hotel could relapse at any second. You just, you know, you felt the ghosts in the hall. You just, I just knew walking down the hall to my room that at some other point in time, some woman was running down that hall screaming, he's got a gun, he's got a gun, he's going to kill me. As strange, drugged out people just watch the drama unfold, don't want to get involved. But I went to Niagara Falls, and I got to tell you, the drive up there, not great. Niagara, the town, bad shape. I don't know if they do it on purpose, so the falls are even more amazing than they could be. But I tell you, by the time you get to the falls, after you've driven through Niagara, you want to jump into them. And I've already got that thing. You know, I, I drove up to the falls. There's these horrendous tourist shithole outposts of people selling stuff, several Indian food trucks. I don't know why. It was just horrendous. By the time I actually got to the water, I had such a contempt for humanity. Like I felt like it was all a failure. Driving through Niagara, hope had left. If they could only channel some of that water that goes over those falls and irrigated some hope (laughs) and light into Niagara, it would be amazing, but it's not. It's depressed. It's sad. Then waiting online with people to get tickets for things I don't need. I just want to go on the boat. I just want to look at the thing. I just want to look at the water going over. I was filled with contempt. I walked up to the water at the top of the falls and I had to fight the urge to climb in. But that's just the way I am. There's always that thing pulling me towards that. If I were hanging off a cliff, I don't know. I think it would be easier to let go than to fight the fight to get back up. I don't know if I have the tragic persistence necessary to get to the end gracefully. I was waiting online with all these people and then we went up to get our, our blue garbage bag ponchos that they hand out to everybody to go on the Maid of the Mist. And I'll tell you, man, being on that boat, you know, with just a bunch of other people wearing blue garbage bag ponchos, it just was heartwarming. We're just people and we're small people and we're wearing blue garbage bag ponchos and there are these amazing falls that are nothing but invigorating. The water just keeps coming. It's uplifting. Stood on that boat with my other fellow humans, our blue garbage bag ponchos, fighting the urge to applaud, to applaud Niagara Falls. Just clap. It's amazing. It just keeps coming. It's never going to stop. It's beautiful. It's nature. It's uplifting. It was great. I really think that blue garbage bag ponchos are the great equalizer. Everybody is equal in a blue garbage bag poncho. Just small humans looking silly, barely protected against the elements. Whenever there's a problem, 
between peoples. Someone should show up with some blue garbage bag ponchos. That's what I learned at Niagara Falls. That's what I learned. Had a good time in Buffalo. Almost felt like moving there. I don't know what I'd do there. I just wanted to do my part, maybe to help out, bring a little business in. I could be doing this anywhere. So why am I in New York City? Why? Because when I got to the Buffalo airport, I had my flight all set up. I was going to fly out to, to Los Angeles on Sunday, record this monologue for my 400th episode in my garage at the source, and then fly back out here on Tuesday to do the David Letterman show. I'm going to be sitting down next to David on the couch, something I've never done before. I hope it happens. You never know when you're going to get bumped, but that was a, a career goal. So I'm on the precipice. Like, it's like, to me, that's just, that's winning. That's all I ever wanted to do in my life is sit in that chair next to that guy. And, and it's going to happen on Wednesday because of this podcast. Seriously, because of this podcast, I'm going to sit next to Letterman and we're going to have a conversation and hopefully I'll be funny. It's going to be hard. Love that guy. I've always loved that guy. Been with him a long time. So I get to the airport Sunday morning. I'm getting ready to get on my little plane and there's mechanical problems. And I, you know, I just knew it. Some days just aren't going to fucking work out, man. It was just not going to happen. So I'm like, why don't I just go to New York? Because I want to see my girlfriend. I want to record this in my garage. But you've got to record. Now you've got, it's not going to happen, dude. You've got to process this. It's not going to happen. You got to record it outside. You got to find a bathroom. You got to do something. There was an urgency to it. The entire day revolved around getting this monologue done. I didn't give a fuck about anything else. Then I started to sort of rationalize it. Like, well, it was supposed to be a special day. I mean, I feel great about the podcast, but I wanted to record it in my garage. But now what are we going to do? And I'm like, well, maybe you should fly to Detroit. You got five hours there, man. Iggy's from Detroit. It will be thematically appropriate. Maybe get out into the city and record the monologue in Detroit on the streets, on the streets where the MC5 and Iggy Pop ran around. That was my plan. I was like, I didn't give a shit. And then I'm like, how, what if I don't have Wi-Fi that's good enough to get this there? I, the, I, all I wanted to do was get this done. This was the most important thing. And it still is the most important thing doing this podcast. But I got down to New York. Now I think I got the flu. I had a fever on top of everything else. But I just, the urgency was overbearing. All I cared about was getting this monologue out. All I care about is this podcast. This is my 400th episode. Iggy Pop is here. He's in the garage. It's going to happen in just a few minutes. I was, reading an over, I was reading over an old bio that I wrote you know, long before the podcast. I actually should change this bio. I don't, I don't even know why it's still on my website. But it says, since I was 11, being a stand-up comic is all I ever wanted to be. I actually thought it was a noble profession. I remember being a kid and watching Rickles and Hackett on the tube, reading the My Favorite Jokes column at the back of Parade Magazine every Sunday, listening to Carlin Pryor, Cheech and Chong records with my little brother, going to Woody Allen movies and staying up late on Saturdays to see the first season of SNL. To me, being a comic meant to be autonomous, angry, truthful, and funny. It meant being alive and present in the moment. It meant having the freedom to figure out and then be who I am in the purest way and do it shamelessly in front of people, impose it on them and try to blow some minds in the process. It meant avoiding the soul death of the day job. Being a comic entitled me to live like a fucking gypsy until something clicked. And if it didn't, who knows? I've been fortunate enough to have a few dispersed clicks throughout what I guess has been a showbiz career of relative obscurity, but with a real freedom from the bondage of mediocrity. 
I have a hard time describing what I do or what I am up there on stage. I've been called neurotic, a storyteller, heady, cerebral, angry, brilliant, bad, a problem, a cultural critic, a satirist, fucking funny, an important voice, etc. Recently, a young woman who had just seen me came out onto the street, came up to me excited and said, you were really great. You're like Woody Allen. Of course, I found a way to make that a negative and said, really? I think I'm a little angrier than Woody Allen. In response, she said, you're like an Iggy Pop Woody Allen. I like that. I think if that helps you understand what I do, it's a reasonable description of where I am lately. That's my bio that I wrote probably 10 years ago or more. And, uh, you know, my life's a lot different. Uh, but I don't know. I think, I don't know if I'm still an Iggy Pop Woody Allen. But all I know is that, you know, last night I was in Buffalo putting it out there for 65 people, second show. Not a huge crowd, but a great crowd. I connected. There were moments on the other shows where I didn't. I'm, I'm actually a little drained. You know, I put a lot of myself out there, and there was moments in the, the Friday night show where I just stopped, and I was like, I can't. I don't, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of me. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it all. But that last show, I got it back. I don't know, man, but I'm fucking thrilled and amazed that everything that's happened has happened, and this is the 400th episode, and my guest is Iggy Pop. I was very nervous about Iggy coming over. I was waiting for them. It was late. At first, uh, one limo drives up, pulls up onto the, uh, up in front of my house. A publicist gets out, and I show her where it's going to go down. She's got her heels on. She's uh, very put together. And I say to her, I said, does he talk? Does he talk? I don't know anything about him. Is he, where's he at? And she goes, oh, yeah, he loves to talk. And I'm like, really? I had no idea what to expect. It's Iggy Pop. I was more nervous about Iggy than anything because how do you wrap your brain around Iggy Pop? Iggy Pop, the performer. Iggy Pop, the guy. Iggy Pop, the music. How do you wrap your brain around that? Guy means a lot to me. Then another limo pulls up. And Iggy's road manager gets out. Iggy's girlfriend gets out. She's like seven feet tall. And then Iggy's in the car. I walk up to the car door. He's about to get out of the car. I go, how you doing, Iggy? Do you need anything? And he goes, I need to refresh. And I'm like, you need to refresh? What does that mean? Do you need coffee? Yes, I need coffee. A black coffee would be great. Okay. Do you need water? Yes, water would be great. Is there anything I can do for you? He goes, I just need to, I don't know, get refreshed. And I'm like, okay, man. All right. So we walk out back. We walk onto my deck, and Iggy is there. His crew is sat down at the table back there, his girlfriend, the road manager, publicist. And Iggy's just walking around the deck with his arms spread out, breathing, looking at the trees back there, looking at the hill. He's like, this is great. This is great. And then within three minutes of being on my deck, the shirt comes off. Iggy Pop takes his shirt off on my deck. Now, anybody else, you'd be like, now, this is odd, and but no. Not in this situation. This is Iggy. Now that's Iggy. And then I go, you ready, man? He goes, yeah. And so we went into the garage, shirtless Iggy, sat across from me, and we had this conversation. There was a couple moments where he kind of tweaked his nipples a little bit. I don't know why. He's kind of pulling out him hair or something. You know, it, was a, it wasn't uncomfortable. It was a little disconcerting. I didn't bring it up because it's Iggy. So let's go now to my garage where I talk to Iggy Pop. <laughs> 
Looking forward to talking to you. Oh, cool. Like, you know, people ask me, you know, who are my dream guests, and I keep saying Iggy Pop. <laughs> and here you are in my oh, garage. Right, cool. And a lot of people were, uh, it was funny because I said I was going to talk to you today. And three people said, you think I'll be wearing a shirt or no shirt? <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I, I killed the shirt, man. No shirt, right away. Well, I'm more comfortable, you know. <laughs> it's great. It's, uh, it's not going to come over on a, across on the radio, but I mean, yeah, but yeah, I want right. people to know. So you're living in Florida, uh, and I know that because I think right when you moved there, when did you move there? Uh, 98. I was down there like in 2004 or something in Fort Lauderdale, and I was down there with my ex-wife, and you were playing someplace, and it just got announced. It was like 400 people. Yeah, it was the Culture Room. Yeah, so yeah, you remember it, that game? Yeah, because it's, uh, it, it's in a little strip mall, right? and it's got a purple script sign right. that says Culture Room. What was that gig? Where'd that come from? Well, that that's sort of a famous, infamous stop for uh, hard rock and metal bands that can't play anywhere else in uh, Southern Florida because right. everybody's in either like Andy Williams or Julio Iglesias or <laughs> yeah, yeah, Enrique yeah. or whatever it is. Right, you right. Know? Yeah. And, and who are those dudes? Because I just remember like I'd never seen him before and I was a big fan. I'm like, what's this going to be? It was fucking nuts, man. Yeah, the dudes in the band at the time, it was this guy named Whitey, Whitey Curse. Right, Whitey yeah, Curse. Whitey Curse. And that Marshall Stack or whatever yeah, the hell Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also goes, his alias is Whitey Christ. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was amazed, man. That guy could fucking play. He he's a uh, he, he's like a metal a metalhead satanic sweetheart <laughs> good guy fighting fucking <laughs> right. don't tell me what to do right, right. black death vodka yeah. uh, three packs of cigarettes right guy. so, yeah. so do you, is he still around or what? well I'm I'm working with the original Stooges oh now, I know that I know that he but we we stay in touch he'll send me a text like oh uh, what are you doing that's it right <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> still alive yeah, yeah right yeah. yeah so like um what what was the like I want to do some back story yeah, sure. a little bit when you grew up what was it what was your family situation like uh, i had a real uh real super responsible uh completely together mother and father never a drink in the house never a curse word <laughs> never an argument we we lived the three of us in a small trailer yeah. home uh the trailers were really small to start with and they got bigger Till the the one I, when I graduated high school it was five hundred square feet. Right, right. So that's like a studio. <laughs> but we all lived. We were like Japanese people in a way. It causes a tension that uh, I didn't even realize, but later it was helping create me. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And but we lived, we lived by the side of the road as most trailer parks are out by a cornfield in Michigan. In Michigan, but my father was uh, my father had gone to school on the GI Bill. Yeah, so he, he he thought it was important to give me a good education. So we were within the Ann Arbor School District, which is uh, very very fine secondary system uh, uh -huh. run by the University of Michigan. And there I met like the son of the president of Ford Motor Company. Oh, and, really? Uh, the McNamara yeah, yeah. relatives. Oh, you really? Know, and when he was secretary yeah, 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 of yeah, defense, yeah. I was graduating high school. So there, were, there was all that around. A lot of know? power. A lot yeah, of money. a lot of power and money. And uh, I started playing drums in a, in a little high school band siphoning off drips of that power and money. And we'd go out on the weekend in 1964 and make 
250 bucks each do you know what you were playing do you remember well, yeah sure we were playing uh, you really got me and then the <laughs> louis louis yeah, yeah. and uh there was one the fr frat boys liked called high ho silver it had dirty words you know <laughs> see that girl with that it gets yeah. dirtier and keg parties things sure. like that and then we do some some beatles and uh some ray charles you know like yeah, that yeah 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 and it's sort of grew from there i i did that for a while and it was just a, an awful lot of fun and we we got a job in a teen club for the summer uh in harbor springs michigan which, and that's where they book you out for the whole like yeah once for a the week. whole summer we right. we stayed you boys can just bunk here we stayed in a in a log cabin <laughs> with cold running water and bare mattresses and we each got bunk beds yeah 50 yeah. 55 dollars a week yeah to uh, play five sets a night in this club, but like the Four Tops came through, Shangri-Las came through, the Crystals, uh, Louis Louis, uh, what's what are their names? Kingsman, Kingsman. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bobby Goldsboro, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody came through, and half of them didn't have a drummer, so I would drum for them, and I, I learned a lot. They would know? play at the team club, yeah, on like was, a caravan. Yeah, they're they're uh, avaricious and crooked record company owners would send them on right, these right. bizarre tours right. every you know? night another yeah. team club yeah it was called the ponytail and it was cherry cokes were the strongest drink sure. yeah and the kids were upscale these are these are like the the, the daughter of the reynolds the right, son right. ricky dupont would uh, dupont out. reynolds yeah, aluminum yeah, foil yeah, and yeah. chemicals and yeah. those people still keep uh summer homes up in in that area but mike uh What's his name? Ah, oh, the guy, uh, Fahrenheit, uh, he hates Bush, the filmmaker. Oh, Michael Moore, yeah, 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 yeah Michael yeah. Moore has yeah. a place up there. So. Well, so you, did you feel like some, like, because your dad, what did your dad do? My dad was an English teacher, so, high school level. Did you feel like some tension, some resentment building towards the, you know, the upper class, and were you starting to get some fury at all? I had some fury, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had some fury. Yeah. I, I, the first song I ever wrote was yeah. about uh, there was an upper class kid. Yeah, I used to be friends with his with his uh, sister. Yeah, and he gave me tude. Yeah, and I remember I wrote a little. It was four lines. It was called "Why Do You Hate Me." Yeah, and I, it was "Why Do You Hate Me? Why Do You Hate Me? Why Do You Hate Me Like You Do?" Someday I'll have the stuff, and I'm gonna come after you. Yeah, and that, that was there was no music to that one. It was just this little poem I wrote. You know, because like, you could feel it building. I, right? I felt it building. Yeah, and you know, I I tried to. The other thing I felt building was the the euphoria and the freedom of that that summer suddenly i was a professional musician free by day yeah yeah worked yeah. up up all night all yeah, that yeah, that yeah. sort of thing and uh and it felt great and i, I started getting wild have my first dui i got the band fired you know oh, yeah? All that, yeah all that sort of thing how'd you get the band fired from uh, the team club from or the from dui a... yeah that oh, right. did, didn't fit the image sure. so kids no good so i thought I don't care. That guy's a hick anyway. I'll promote my own show. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I found some guy who was this typical, uh, an area manager, not unlike Lou Pearlman, the kind of manager that really likes young guys. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, and I found him, and he helped me. Yeah, yes, I can help you. Uh, you know, <laughs> Just we'll, come we'll over. rent a warehouse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but we did. You know, so yeah. I did that, and I tried to go back to school the next for the first semester of university the yeah. next year. 
and I couldn't do it. Yeah. I got in school, and uh, God, the professors all had a stick up their ass, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, they, they, you know, nobody communicated. There yeah. were thirty thousand, there herds of yeah, people. Yeah. I liked a couple of the classes. I had Asian studies. I liked that. I really liked social anth, you know, especially reading about the Stone Age behavior. Sure. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. for me, you uh, know, yeah, right? Yeah. Time yeah. to get, get primitive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I just decided to leave. There was a, there was a blues band on campus. Older guys, sophisticated, yeah. relative to me. Twenty-five-year-old dropouts, you know. Mm-hmm. I think one of them's his claim to fame was that he'd hitchhiked with Bob Dylan, or oh, so, sure, you know. Sure, so, yeah. so uh, I told my dad I was uh, I was living at home, commuting to university at the time. I told my dad, "Well, uh, I'm going to go be a professional musician." My father was a a very responsible, earnest man, who you know, like a lot of guys, right around that World War II period, that yeah. went out and set things up for. The family. Yeah, from more dubious guys like you and me. Right. They went out and, you know, (laughs) when he was 20-something and he had his dreams, it was like, no, 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 time to go fight Hitler. And then, you know, and then when when that's done, no, 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 you've got a kid. Right, (laughs) right. You know, bongity-bongity-bong. So he was, I think there was a something he had to set aside and instead be a good dad so he he stood in the door of our trailer and he's a big man yeah and a much better fighter yeah. he's and he said you're gonna have to push me out of this door <laughs> and so i took a deep breath and got ready to get you know yeah, yeah, oh yeah. this is gonna hurt you yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and I, I made two steps and he he you backed know, away. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's a nice person, you know. So did it break his heart somehow? I think. I think. I. I, was, I really put he, my, the two of them. I put them through. Come on, they were yeah, yeah. pops' parents in the sixties, seventies, and eighties. You know. And you're the only son. Yeah, I was the only son. I went and played a concert at his high school, and uh, uh, I was I was hanging out with Nico at the time, and she had, she was. Well, she was hanging out with you guys. She was, was hanging the, out in Michigan, right? With said, Hello, the, I come to Michigan <laughs> with you, and uh, I think you are much better than Lou anyway. <laughs> so, was this what, But this was, you're already with the Stooges? You're yeah, I was with, with the, the Stooges by that time. And, and, and you're playing a high school gig? And, and played, Nico's yeah, hanging hi, out? And Nico's hanging out. Yeah, Nico is like that. How the fuck did she find you? <laughs> she she found me when we went to New York to record, and uh, John Cale was right. hired the to first produce album? us. The first album? Right, yeah, 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 yeah. So the two of them, he started inviting her to the sessions. Yeah. And they'd sit there. It was like the Adams family. Yeah. He had a. Have you ever seen Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a cape like Z Man. Remember, <laughs> he had this cape that he wore black yeah, yeah. with a purple satin lining, and yeah. she would sit there knitting. Oh my yeah, god! While we're going, dun, 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 you know, <laughs> it's hilarious because he was here. He came over, really, and really? he was wearing athletic shorts. Well, okay. that's how things have changed. Yeah, he's, he's sitting there wearing athletic shorts and a sweat jacket. <laughs> okay, and that you're sitting there with no shirt on. It's, it's amazing how things change. He's a beautiful musician. He played viola. On right. our, our first album, you know, it's funny. There's a song eight minutes long on there that's just a uh, you will fall. Is it, we, we will, will fall. fall. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a sort of a we tried to adapt a Hindu chant. Right, and uh, and people just block block it out. You know, when you hear about the group, you never hear about that. You just hear about yeah, the uh, teen angst. Of yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. To do, but we did that too, and he 
played viola. Yeah, it had sort that. of like almost a dirge kind yeah. of flow to yes, it. Yes, it did. And I asked him about you guys, and and because I, I, it's always in my mind as a producer, I'm like, well, what did you what did you bring to that Stooges recording? And he's like, they were fully loaded. That guy, that guy had nothing. He, well, he, you know, yes, yeah, we were fully loaded. But what he brought was that was the audience. Right. We need an audience. Yeah. And uh, he. You know, if it had just been some engineer dude sitting yeah. there, pew, right. no stiffy, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. But he had presence, and he did. He there was a point where they were trying to do tracks, yeah. And I was just sitting there while they did the tracks, and he said, "You need to dance around. They play different when you dance around." And that's true because that's really how the band, how we got our style. We were trying to find a style for about a year. Yeah. Uh, one day I just got frustrated and angry and I started jumping up and down and dancing in the rehearsal room. And the group were all embarrassed for me and they kind of like looked down, you know, like, we don't want to look, you know, like, we want to look, but we don't want to look. What's he cool. doing? Yeah, this isn't cool. Right, exactly. Because they all just wanted to be rock stars, yeah, yeah, you know. Right. Yeah. And, and up rose the, the energy changed. You know, so he spotted that in the studio. So, so they were almost fighting your awkward jerking yeah, around. Yeah, with like we can still be cool even yeah, if he's going to do yeah. that. Something, something's going on in the wow, room. It's wow. really weird, and it's <laughs> this is weird, but maybe it's kind of cool or something. You know, I don't know what they thought. Well, that's interesting because, like, uh, I, I don't think people realize the power of a front man all the time, and what you know, what you have to do to lead a band. Because you're the guy up there, and the energy's got to move through the you. The energy's got to move through you, and then go out, right? Make it make it accessible for the other people in the room to receive it. So early on, so how do you end up? Okay, so you record the first Stooges album, and then you go back and play a high school in Michigan. Yeah, sure. We were playing a lot. We we played. Uh, Don was was one of my producers yeah, yeah. later, and we played his high school too. As a goofer, because high, you needed a, the gig. No, that was just in Michigan at that time. We had a. We had a kind of fully fledged, uh, it's, it's kind of a gig chain, a food chain. Right. Uh, you had a psychedelic ballroom, the Grandy. There was a string of uh, teen clubs in the upscale suburbs called yeah. the Hideouts. Right. Then you had gigs around the campus that were high exposure but never paid. Then there was the MC5 who had these hard rock benefit gigs also well, what, what, what was the story with that because you know there's that whole the whole detroit sound and you know that comes up through you know what the the motown and mitch Ryder and the white soul and then the and then the yeah. mc5 i mean what what was the event and i know you've talked about it before that made you realize that you could get out from behind the drums and, and fucking push well you know there uh, there wasn't it was more that i had to i just got i was in the prime movers and i was sick of looking at this singer's skinny little ass moving out of time <laughs> i was always cued of where the one was and i thought this is not a future for me you know i i need to i, I thought i could write yeah and i smoked a big joint and then i really thought i could write yeah you know? yeah, yeah, yeah and i uh, went from there and then uh, what I actually wanted to start doing that, I uh, I tried to get up 
and sing a blues song in front of my friends in a bar, and it was horrible, and they were embarrassed. You know, I stood there like yeah, posed, and sure. I sang, "Rock me, baby." Rock you me know, all night long. Yeah, yeah, so you went with Muddy Waters. It, yeah, it was very bad. Well, BB King, or yeah, 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 yeah. But you were a blues guy. And when I you... was. A, I'd been playing in a blues band at that time. And you and love the blues, or you guys? I still? still do. And my whole idea with the Stooges was. I know these juvenile delinquents. Yeah. They have charisma, and they're the only people primitive enough to follow me. Right. So I could create a a juvenile blues. You like know, that a was, modern juvenile yeah, blues. Yeah, exactly. Just raw. I mean, look, Eddie Cochran had thought along similar lines. This is not totally a new idea. But I thought I, the law. A, yeah, in yeah. a certain way, you know. And, you know, even summertime blues where he's right, got to right. work and he should right. rather be outdoors Okay, and all okay, that, yeah, I know? get it, yeah. So, but, but we took it more sullen, more picky, more like more like what uh, Howlin' Wolf would sing Right, about, right. You know? Did you ever more see like, him? Oh, yeah. Really? Sure, I did. I, I, uh, he was very old by the time I saw him. And okay, I got that picture right there. Oh, it's beautiful. When he's on the floor just doing wow. it. I never knew that. I, I just read a biography of him that he was did a lot of the things I did at the beginning with, you know, uh, theatricalizing his dick and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. crawling like a snake on the floor. And I didn't know. When I saw him, he was very, very old, and he just stood there in the middle of a bunch of white kids. <laughs> and, man, it was like... Electric, right? Yeah, it was like... It was better than Jurassic Park. I'll wow, tell you, it was like... Dr his hands, his hands are... Very, very, it's like they, I, they seem to be a foot long. He was a big guy, a right? Very, very big guy, and he had a lot of presence, and he played a guitar sort of like the way that Ike Turner plays a guitar. Like, you, at first you're going, this guy can't play a fucking guitar. Right. And then you listen, you listen back 20 years later, and you realize, I never heard anybody play a guitar that it sounded as right down right him. right you know you got a like deep that. thing out of it yeah yeah and i still got i love hearing them on the viagra ad you know <laughs> it, it's sort of sad it right? sounds great <laughs> yeah but i think it's great yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. great to hear him you know yeah yeah and that's hubert sumlin on the he guitar. just passed away great those riffs that, yeah hubert was great yeah they put out a, a solo album who jimmy favino and those guys yeah. put out that I, that, that stuff nothing sounds like him. i loved that he could beat up his band too and that's that's one of my big uh sort of failings i can't beat up the band he beat up his band <laughs> yeah all the time you read in his biography they'd be out on the road and somebody do something to irritate you say pull the car over and they say <laughs> get out of the car you fired motherfucker and and we're to throw you out and then the guy would like well somebody would hit him in the head and then he'd take the guy and literally pound him into a bloody puff it's like the drummer or something right. and then throw him by the side of the road and I don't know. Sometimes it's all you could do with these guys, you know. <laughs> is that's that that would work. So, you, so you saw these old blues cats, and did and you saw the MC Five. You spent time with the MC Five. A lot you, of time. And with you saw them. and you saw the Doors early on. I saw the Doors. I know that's in. The, I've read that story before, but they the way they characterize it, like in uh, in Legs's books and in some of the other press, is that that was some sort of pivotal moment. for It you. was a pivotal moment, both both because at that time. The Doors probably sounded great in a, a little shit heel club yeah. on the Sunset Strip right. for a bunch of 
people from L.A. that don't know what the fuck is what the fuck. Right. You know, the flowers in their hair or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. and, you know, a deal in their back pocket or whatever. But but they were now, I saw them at a homecoming dance in a field Midwestern field house for 5,000 football players at their dates, right? And the dude is loaded on acid. Like, the uh, the eyes are just all, yeah, all pupil. All pupil, right? <laughs> yeah. And he comes out and he sings every song like this in this voice. Show me the way. And he won't sing right, yeah. you know? Yeah. And the band sounded wimpy. Right. In other words, because the, the beauty of their sound is that the, the drummer has a yeah. jazz approach. Right. Everything's quiet, so yeah. the music can come out. Right. But let's face it, the the, the dumbing down of of wonderful blues by by the descendants of our slaves into rock, right? Duh. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, has, has sort of that. It, it's sort of like putting spanks on the music, <laughs> you know, and everything. It just gets simpler and more and more compressing. Right. Uh, uh. Yeah. So people didn't know how to react to that, and the band sort of sounded ultra loose. And and that made it worse. I mean, at least if there had been a power riff going right, on while right. this guy someone that, could have yeah, rocked to it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there was nothing, and yeah, this yeah. guy's going, ah, ah, <laughs> and he's making these gestures, these yeah. weird gestures, and he's got a little leatherette outfit, yeah, yeah. and the people started getting angry. Yeah, and uh, started uh, bum rushing the stage. You oh, know? really? Yeah, it was only. I love these stages. Uh, it was like an 18-inch stage, no barrier. Right, right. You know, you, so he's right there on the floor with everybody. He's right there. So they, they pulled the gig, but I loved the gig, you know, and I thought, on the other hand, I thought, well, gee, if they can do that, yeah. come did, on. <laughs> did, you, you know? did you love his commitment to, to fucking with them? Like, did it become- That didn't, I didn't mind that. Maybe that went in the back of my head. Right, right. I just thought- Wow, cool looking cat. You know, I'll, I'll bet he gets a lot of blankety blank. You yeah, know, and I was there. It. I was there with some blankety blank, yeah. and and actually had an orgasm while they did that. Really? Yes. Yeah. Well, with her help. You oh, know? Okay. I mean, it wasn't it like no, no, no. no I've you tried know. to do that. It's very hard yeah, to just do know, a mental uh, orgasm. You know, yeah. Right. So you know, it was all in all, it was an interesting show. You know. And then what goes? So what was your relationship with the MC Five? Because they were kind of they had a commune didn't they and they yeah they had started out as look there were a whole lot of guys around detroit who were the kind of inheritors of the the mitch mitch Ryder, mitch and jimmy bacardi and johnny badjanak who still play great um were the kind of the epitome of down river tough detroit rock really heavily informed by by fine, fine blues country, country blues and fine folk blues yeah. and black music yeah. too. They had that covered. Had a and there were tons of guys around. There were bands called the Lords and Steve Hunter was yeah. there, and the five were guys like that. And then they got this manager who was like, you know, he'd done a little time, yeah, and uh, learned about some uh, jazz and yeah, yeah. revolutionary poetry in the right, joint, right. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and came out and, <laughs> yeah. hey, like, sort of like sort of like a, a, a kinder, gentler Manson right, kind right. of thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, I'll get in on this free love, yeah. but in a really, like, you know, yeah. macho way. Right, and right, so right. they had this commune. 
apparently, I don't remember this, but apparently when I was a drummer, they tried to recruit me, and I just don't remember because my mind has blanks, right. you know. You're probably but, lucky that yeah, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, but I knew them, and, uh, and we sort of we took a couple of steps to see if we could get to be their, one of their regular opening acts. Right. And they were very welcoming to us. I think it... You know, I think we were good for them. We helped provide a little dimension to what yeah. they did. We'd, yeah. we'd go play the basement of a church with them for nothing, or we'd go play the psychedelic ballroom, and people would see us that right. wouldn't otherwise, right. and we'd get 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and was there, did it influence you at all? Like, was uh, Sonic, oh, yeah. Sonic were, Smith's guitar were, playing uh, in yes. that drive? Yeah, they were a big influence, and especially... There was one really cold night in Michigan, and we had gone, we had all gotten into the car, and we were going to drive up to Detroit and visit yeah. them. And by the time the snow was blowing sideways, and they had an old meat locker yeah. on uh, Woodward yeah. that they rehearsed in with a, one of the big, thick door to keep the meat cold. Yeah. And we couldn't get in, and they couldn't hear us, but we stood there freezing in the cold and when you heard it through the door, yeah. Then I figured out, oh, it's cutting through. This the door. is what this is what they're doing. Yeah, you could hear it in a way you couldn't when it was blasting. echoing and blasting. And 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 what a, was it? The oh, the drum sound? Or the it was no. It was it was the it was certain rhythmic choices and uh -huh. the guitar approach. They were doing uh, they were doing kick out the jams. It's, right, right. And the the emphasis on that is actually taken from Latin music. Right. But it just you wouldn't think that. It's on the three instead of yeah. the four or something. Right. And oh yeah, so it it not coincidentally resembles on the Stooges Funhouse album dun, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I'm loose you right know? yeah 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 so we took a lot of that and also the fact that they were uh, I was starting to go nuts for James Brown those were the years when finally James Brown was breaking through to radio that white people listened to right, and right. I'm hearing this shit and I'm like what the, the space, right, the right, precision, right. the syncopation. It's just fantastic. Right. And they could play a couple James Brown songs. And I thought, well, there's no way. Stooges are not going to learn a James Brown song, but we could do stuff like that. Right. So they're... We, I was listening closely to their templates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, uh, I Want You Right Now by the MC5 closely. Re we later did Real Cool Time, which yeah. closely resembles. Sure, but sure. it's a little different feel. And it's also know? a little more stripped down. Yes, yeah. we, we stripped it yeah. down. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but they were just great. And I could always go, you know, they moved to Ann Arbor. And even in, when they lived in Detroit. Yeah. I could go and just crash in their house for a couple weeks and their wives would sew my pants <laughs> or like yeah, yeah. when when they lived in Ann Arbor I would if I was really hungry I would yeah. sneak in the back of their house and make a peanut butter jelly sandwich you know, yeah, you know it's like, like a that. den house yes yeah. it was like a den house now do you like like even now do you like have a relationship with Wayne Kramer yes do I do I, I really you know you got a hand Wayne is just yeah I like Wayne yeah. and uh, he's a trip yeah yeah yeah. but you guys just, survived is there some part of that where you're like how you doing yeah, there, 
still alive. Yes, yes, know? there is that, and it's but it's sort of like how you do, and you know what, you're still shit. Yeah, you know, he's he'll kind of. There's always this little tone in his voice. You know, I, I you know, I know you're still shit. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, of, not really, not right, really, right, sure. but he's he's cool. But you know, he lets you know. You Where'd know? you meet the Ashton brothers? I mean, was that high school stuff or like? Uh, that was hanging. Uh, no, that we they went to my high school. Ron yeah. used to walk in the back door. Yeah, the mom would drop him off, and then he walk through the school and walk out the other door. <laughs> right, so that right. was that. And he later, <laughs> they gave him a diploma somehow. I don't think Scott, I think Scott made it for a couple days in 10th grade, and that was about it. I don't think he actually bothered with that. Right. So, uh, I met him, uh, I was working uh, right in the middle of the campus on a key campus corner in any camp- state university, you usually used to have a record store. Right. So I worked at the record store, discount records to help pay bills while I was getting my various drumming careers going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were ha- their sister would come in to listen to the news hit singles. Right. And, uh, and this is in the mid sixties, early sixties, mid nineteen sixty six, sixty seven, and a lot of good music happening. Yeah, yeah. Scott. And his friends Dave Alexander and their friend Roy would stand in front of the drugstore, <laughs> yeah. uh, staring, making sullen yeah, yeah, faces. Yeah. <laughs> they were yeah, what yeah, you yeah. call townies. Sure, sure. Yeah, they were doing the James townies. Dean thing. That's it. They yeah. were doing the James Dean in these tight pants. And, yeah. And Scott would bug me. Oh, why don't you teach me to play some drums? Yeah. And I taught him to play. I yeah. was a Teenager, and Ron was sort of. This guy, he was like one of the one of the first guys in town with long hair, right? And uh, he was come around once in a while. I sort of knew him. He knew me, and I knew I was interested in other musicians. So it was kind of like that. What was he listening to? Because like somehow that you know the guitar sound on those Stooges records like is singular. Yeah, he. I, the, I think the reason it's singular is because he'd played bass for so long. He never thought about playing a guitar till I put it in his hand when I, we started the group. I wanted, I tried singing it, yeah. writing it, and playing it with his, the two brothers as a rhythm section. I realized I did not have the command or finesse to lead a group instrumentally, so right. I gave him a guitar one day. So the first two albums, are, those are heavy gauge strings because he was so used to playing the bass. Right, right. Now most guitar players they want to show off, so they use these incredibly light yeah, gauge like nines. Strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, all that also causes problems when you want to record it because the the sound tends to muddy, things go out of tune. Right. But those big strings, like piano wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gave actually the only other people I know who always played the big strings are all the old black players. And whenever I would, whenever I would play with an old blues guy, the effing string is like an inch and a half off the guitar. The guitar is from Taiwan yeah, or yeah, somewhere, yeah. Right? right? And it doesn't bother that guy because he's got. Killer Mon- yeah, fingers, like you monster know, monster hands, and then you go deep with the sound. The sound is if you pull this it out, it. it's like way like Cobain used to use like piano like strings. Almost. Yeah, yeah. All all the newer the the newer the groups get, the more they they get the uh, roar. Yeah, from te- yeah. From technology, so part of it was just that you know, it, like when you hit those things, it was such a full sound. Yeah, it yeah. just seared a cut, <clears throat> and he had developed a certain attack by right, playing right. the bass, and uh, and everything was fresh and new to him, and we were in a hurry. Yeah. So, so he's his, he loved the pretty things, 
the Stones, the Who, Jimi right, Hendrix. Right, right. That, yeah, and yeah, then I would thing. come over and feed him drugs and say, well, listen to this Bedouin medicine <laughs> chant. Listen to Ravi Shankar. Listen to this John Coltrane. And he was very open. He would listen to it and enjoy it. And enough of that seeped in that I think what he his big achievement on the guitar was when he realized by chance sometimes while he was playing there were certain positions where the guitar talked right it wasn't about him expressing himself by controlling a tool right it was the guitar started talking the amp started talking there were chance overtones that sounded it was sort of like instant karma, like an instant uh, American example of what took Indians uh, two thousand five hundred years right, to right. develop. You know, right. He just everything <clears throat> you, you become the groove almost. Yeah, sort of like and and because of the electricity and those giant ants. Right, right. Sort Be of a like a, a takeoff on like God that professor bloom that doesn't like a uh, modern harold bloom yeah harold yeah. bloom when he yeah. writes the thing about the kid sitting listening to michael jackson and yeah, yeah. it's three thousand years of civilization have been distilled into this kid's ears through this moronic uh, yeah. tool you know there there's something to that sure you know? yeah well, that's but, the magic of music yeah. i mean because i mean even thinking about it now like you know uh, i want to be your dog is like it's, it's not like really a hook it's just a push yeah and it's sort of just like you know once you get the hypnotic element going yeah, yeah it, he had the riff and he had the hypnosis right right and, and i think it helped too that you know those those fellas lost their dad when they were young yeah they were 14 and 15 respectively and they went into a trance right and they the stopped grief. they stopped going to school and they stopped living in the daytime they switched to night times and i think the trance uh, in their music was a welcome retreat for right, them emotionally. Right. And I would take little bits like, I don't want to be your dog. My my big contribution was I thought, well, it can't just be. At first, it was just that riff over and over. And we'd yeah. go and play that at high school. <laughs> you know, and I'd, I'd sing whatever came into my head every right, night. Right. And so you just I, had the riff. Yeah, and then I came up with... Instead of da 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 da, then it goes da 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was trying to write jingles. Basically, I like double your pleasure, double your fun. That's what I was hearing. You know, little. I couldn't write. Right. I couldn't really do the Ronettes yet. So you wanted you wanted the lyrics to be as simple as possible. Yeah, and all I tried, I had loved Soupy Sales when I was a kid, and he had the thing, now kids, uh, when it's your birthday, you just write the soupy and send me a letter, but remember, make it 25 words or less. <laughs> you know, 25 words or and less. And then you ended up playing with his sons yeah, on yeah. two records, right? Yeah, I did, yeah. I just yeah. talked to Hunt in Austin. Wow. I tracked him down, man. How's he doing? He's all right. Cool, You know, cool. he's hanging in. He's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. pretty sober, and yeah, you know, he's, yeah. he's got a band going. He's yeah. got a new baby. And All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, he's all right. Yeah, yeah Soupy Sales, amazing talent yeah and um you know he was deep into r&b so his kids were became right really knowledgeable and all that yeah stuff. And it, i guess hunt used to just hang out you know he wouldn't go to school and he you know and i guess his old man they had split no. up and he was living in new york and he was just hanging out at manny's music yeah this is it yeah yeah, yeah. oh he knew like when he was 16 i mean they were they were young when they played on uh what they what was the first album uh, i guess you did lust for life with them 
But did you play with them well, before? They were in Tony and the Tigers. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> no. When I started out in the Stooges, <laughs> I I would go to these. Oh, that's right. I, I would go to Sixteen Magazine right. to, to let them take my picture or something, and you'd read about Tony and the Tigers. And that you was know? them. Yeah, that was Tony yeah, Sales, yeah, and they're, they're yeah. little uh-huh. little kid band, a pop yeah, band. Yeah, that's a little right. Pop band. That's right. You and know, then, just like Dino, Desi, and Billy. Right, right, right. Yeah. right. And then they, he said he ended up playing with Rundgren when he was like yeah. seventeen or something. Yeah, and and the other one that these all by the way all these people lived in the same neighborhood it's that flat part of beverly hills between sunset and santa monica there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh there was also the partridge kids right lived there i knew them too you did you knew them yeah yeah and they had their sean cassidy and, and, and the david. other david yeah and you they would all you... any any respectable family from that neighborhood when the kid got to a certain age they say okay do you want to have a rock band <laughs> you know call call moisey the agent and uh we know one guy over here at ABC Records will set you up, sure. get you boys some nice equipment, yeah. and, uh, and that yeah. was it. Yeah, that was it. So you, you knew know? those guys what in '69 when you were out here? Or no, 70 or? I never. No, the only people I met out here when I came the first time in 1970. Let's, let's tie that up though. So you do the you do the record with John Cale, the first record in yeah. New York. You go back to Ann Arbor. Nico right. hangs out with you guys right. and fucks all you guys. And then right? <laughs> no, just me. Okay, all right. Yeah. And then uh, and then you and then you got a deal to come out here. Well, no, and then it was time for our second record, which is like a few months later. They say, "Where's the next record?" Right. And uh, so this time, the idea was to record it out here, and we had. We had been developing material. That was our culture. We right. we play three or four times a week and rehearse three or four times a week. And I'd write and they'd write and we'd develop stuff. We'd play the new songs at right. the high school, you know. <laughs> so we had all yeah, these. Yeah. Love to talk to some of the kids in that audience. Like yeah. what, what it was like for them. Did you find that you went over mostly or kinda, or were people looking at you with confused looks? Or the you... kids, the about half of the little kids were either fascinated or they really liked us right fascinated ones i don't know what they thought but it was like (gasps) what is happening but then when it got beyond little kids those people didn't like us the ones that were gonna run the new counterculture they sure they were threatened well yeah you you and them have been fighting for centuries yeah this is it exactly (laughs) right (laughs) this is true yeah yeah it's like the serbs and the muslims or something the ruling class and the 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 radicals But we went out to LA and we stayed in the Tropicana Motel with Duke's we, coffee shop yeah, downstairs. And we were at, there was the same at the same time exactly that Andy Warhol and Paul Morrissey came out to uh, film Heat with Joe D'Alessandro right. and Jane Forth and uh, Ed Sanders from the Fugs. Yep. You know, kill for peace. Sure. And all that. He ha- he was writing the book, The Family. Yeah, about got it. Manson. Did you read that? Thing? Yeah, it's a damn good, it's a good read, one, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The best part is when they're out in the desert. And I, I, there was a place near the motel called Bowser Boutique, and I yeah. bought this dog collar. So I thought I was walking by. I thought I'd look cool in that, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then he started Sanders sort of yeah. give me these dirty looks and say, "You don't know what that means, do you? You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. you you think that's cool, yeah. don't you? You yeah. know, and all this weird." Stuff, yeah, but, yeah. But we would stay in there, and we'd walk. The, the Electra Studios were just a block down uh, on La Cienega off Santa Monica, and we'd walk there with our little guitars, yeah, and do a, one song each day. 
This was and the Funhouse record. The Funhouse record, and we, I, uh, my sightings at that time were I, I was groupied by uh, the GTOs. Yeah, on Moss, you yeah. know, they were all like, you know, try to fool. We'll all do you if you want, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I used to go to the drive. I saw Superfly with Miss Christine. Oh yeah, at yeah. The, at the, um, there used to be a great drive-in movie down from the farmer's market oh really uh, on off, beverly yeah off beverly yeah it was wonderful uh-huh. and uh my best sighting was one day i walked up the hill to ben frank's oh yeah sunset yeah. boulevard it's not there anymore i know and, it's a mel's now and frank zappa was sitting at the counter like frowning yeah 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 with a cup of black coffee yeah he looked like frank zappa yeah, you yeah. know and he had a his hair and his mustache yeah, yeah. and everything were very, very strong, you uh-huh, know. And, uh-huh. and there he was. I didn't do anything. I was you didn't? I was like, wow. Zappa. Fat Zappa, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah his daughter you know. was just in here last week. Wow. Moon. Wow. Talking about Frank. Yeah, he's, he's... Were you a fan? I was a big, big fan. He took it out especially there. Especially of the Freak Out album. Yeah. And uh, I, I knew him. I got to know him years later, and I, I visited him a couple of times. I didn't know him great, but we would sort of talk. You know, he's a very serious guy. Yeah. Very serious, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. damn. <laughs> Ouch. You know. Now, what was his story about? Because, uh, uh, you know, I, I had read years ago that was it you or one of the other guys that had developed a relationship with one of the Three Stooges? That's Ron Ashton. Ron was. Uh, uh, obsessed with the three stooges but ron. you didn't name yourself after the well stooges. pretty much yeah oh, yeah ron it was ron's idea you know uh, one night we were we were all taking lsd and i was saying come on we got to get something done you yeah. know so it said it and let's think of a name for our yeah, band yeah. so right we came up with the he said i know i said something psychedelic yeah, yeah. you know because that was going around so this he is said, 69 yeah 67 67 was, yeah. and he said i know We'll call ourselves the psychedelic stooges. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. And uh that's where it started. Yeah, it was an homage and also his concept was that because he felt we were like the stooges in that we're never doing anything wrong, but everybody's always upset with us. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right, right. A little disingenuous right. on his part, I thought, but that was his idea and uh, and that was good naming and uh and I thought it was, I think years later, he used to visit Larry in the old Stooges' home here <laughs> yeah. or whatever. You know, they have some sort of a yeah, place. Yeah, for uh, a motion picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Retirement would, And apparently he was like bringing him cigars and whiskey. And, oh, really? You know, yeah, yeah. Things That's like, sweet. Hey, Larry. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> hey, kid, can you get me some, you know. Yeah, yeah it was he like He must that. have loved it. Yeah. So, all right, so you do the three albums in uh, the, the Stooges' albums. And then, uh, how, so you're doing a lot of acid? Yeah. And then you got, did you get strung out on other shit? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like when I did had, that start? I had to calm down. When did that start? <laughs> well, it all started entering the Detroit area and it, it entered America in a big way in 1970. Yeah. That year. 1970. And when I went back home, all of a sudden there it was. It was around everywhere. And unfortunately, there was a guy. Now, always that guy. Yeah, now deceased. Yeah, who had been. This is typical too. When you're when you're really low down the totem pole in a group. Yeah, there there comes a day when somebody in the group realizes, 
hey, we're going to look like fools if we just walk out there and set up our own equipment. We need like a roadie. Yeah. Yeah, well, we don't have any money to pay it. Well, can't we just find like a guy who hangs around and he wants <laughs> yeah. to be cool and he's yeah. not doing anything? Yeah. And that's the guy later who's, there's reasons that people are hanging around <laughs> and want to be cool and aren't <laughs> yeah. doing anything. Right. You know, so this guy was a guy like that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and he had lived in the house for a while and he was a reformed junkie we, yeah we hadn't known that we didn't even know what that stuff was right and uh and then at some point uh we lost we had a manager who was into health foods and his real uh, ambition was to get become an executive in the health food industry yeah. which he since has and he lives in irvine right jimmy silver he was the good fairy around yeah. the group. Right. Kind of kept the conscience? Us, yes, a right. conscience. Right. Uh, here, have some clean brown rice. Right. Hey, you guys should do this. And, you know, moderated right. our, our ill. And when he was gone, and suddenly at the same time, a lot of bikers, a lot of strange guys with strange accents from strange towns were around Detroit and Ann Arbor with this stuff. And so the guy, our live-in, Roadie, yeah. fake roadie, yeah. sort of said, "Hey, I'm going to get back into this. This is cool." Yeah, you know, by that time we had hired, we had some really more professional roadies. Yeah. We used to get them when they'd come back from Vietnam. Yeah, we think perfect guys, yeah. resume, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You drive a tank, yeah. shoot a gun, you can run a Stooges <laughs> gig. You know, yeah. So those guys weren't as bad, but yeah. this one guy was, and he started giving it to me and giving it to this one and giving it to that one and uh, at first it was just disgusting you know, yeah. how you feel and it's just Puking so horrible and sweating you think i'll never do this again yeah yeah and then one night your nerves are shot yeah and you say, yeah. oh, need a bump okay. yeah 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 and uh down 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 you go yeah you yeah know? yeah and uh that that became a something to wrestle with that started a Late seventy, early seventy one for me, and, and it, I think the, I think the last time I ever messed with that, it took about ten years. I never joined, uh, you know. Hey, I never hey, said right, yeah. Jesus, right? <laughs> nah, Jesus, this nah, is Iggy. Yeah, right. Nah, <laughs> I just sort of gradually, my tastes moved in other directions, and for that reason, it took a long time, but. I'm a lot more solid. Yeah. I don't have to go to a meeting and right. find God to right. you know, understand the way I am. But it, it, was a it was a fight, though. It kept coming back, and if it wasn't that, it would be like uh, 10 bottles of wine or a bunch of pills yeah, or a yeah. bunch of Coke or, a, or methadone or silly little weird shit. You know, this was yeah. during the prime time of, of when of you- Of my career, yeah. yeah. I did a lot of good stuff under right. the influence. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I know. I know. Did that well, fuck with you? I mean, were you like, was that part of the, the wrestling, which was like, yeah, but man, I mean, when I went out there, when I was high, and then I- fucking did that and everyone remembers that maybe i need that shit get the people get the other people out get them the fuck out the when you want to do something creative the others are not your friends yeah yeah the, yeah, the yeah. world is not rooting for you <laughs> yeah they don't agree they poo poo yeah the, they see you up they will yeah. pull you down unless unless you create uh, uh, through artifice right an arranged 
uh, introduction to what you do that allows them to support you. And right. that's the knack of, that's showbiz, baby. Right, right. But otherwise, there, it, sometimes you need something Shut to it. just get the effing crap yeah. noise out of here. Right. I don't care who is the fucking president. I right. don't care. Right. I don't even care. It's right. not even, the country doesn't even exist right. anyway. Right. You know, so or, the complete freedom. Or, yeah, whatever it is. Right. right. To f- concentrate because you con- want to concentrate on that. I think that's all it ever did for me. With that, with Unfortunately, that- it, it, you know, it also... Uh, it uh what's the word beyond vulgarity it 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 uh transgression crass yeah uh, yeah decadence it, it, it uh, adds a little crack things get a bit crass <laughs> i'll tell it like it is yeah man uh-huh yeah there's no limits yeah right right <laughs> when there's no limits you're gonna find yourself mm-hmm. in some weird places yes this is it <laughs> So, but at that point, okay, so the Stooges and your drugs, and you know, you've defined yourself as this, you know, this kind of singular rock and roll entity. Mm. When did uh, when did the relationship? Was that when the relationship with Bowie started? He had voiced his interest in the group and uh, the songs, right. In the late sixties. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he saw was, you in New York. We, there or? was no. There was just a little blurb. Yeah, I think he had been over. Maybe. Maybe it was when he toured America with his little uh, acoustic guitar. Before Ziggy, and, and there was something anyway in an American yeah. pu- uh, music publication, right? Saying. Uh, you know, it was one of these, David Bowie, who's yeah. your favorite? Well, I like the Stooges, especially No Fun. And, something, and someone, oh, sh- really? someone showed it to me. Yeah. You, you may know this guy, Danny yeah. Fields. Does yeah. that ring a bell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So Danny showed me that. He was the publicist at Elector. Here's some guys listening to you. And, yeah. And that was that. And I thought nothing of it, but I was grateful that somebody in England knew right, our, right. our music. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, it was a couple of years later, uh, we were, uh, Electra sort of gave me, uh, Jack Holtzman, who was a very cool guy, yeah. gave me like the low budget equivalent of the gold watch. He gave me a nice Nikon camera yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. said, yeah. you know, nice try, kid, uh, you <laughs> yeah. need a rest, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't really hear any <laughs> potential in your newer songs, you know? And, uh... <laughs> So that was it. Yeah. That was after what? Three records or four after records? After two records. Two records. And then basically uh, at the same time, uh, the uh, an organization called Main Man was in town yeah. making connections based around a, a launch of uh, David Bowie's career. In the, they were meeting people mostly in the back room of Max's Kansas City. Right. Which was a chickpea and steakhouse uh, on Union Square that the, where the Warhol people used to eat for free. Okay. Because yeah. that was what you could, if you were a Warhol star, you could get a hamburger. Right. <laughs> no, right, I'll buy you a hamburger if I really have to, you know. <laughs> you know how much does that cost? <laughs> you know, was, were they all like that? He, he was. Okay. He was very like that. He was like, you know, yeah, he would say things to me like, my, you swim well. <laughs> that was a great line. And my, you swim well. And he would suggest. He still had a. He had one suggestion. I, I've never instituted, but he said, uh, "Why don't you just 
read the newspaper into the microphone and that that will be your songs and you can write lots of them that way <laughs> that was his idea never yeah, followed up nah, on that one. no but i i, I kind of you know <laughs> why not yeah why not right yeah. you know you fair, to a fair enough yeah. yeah so you know they were all eating their hamburgers back there with these little they they had these little um Manila paper Andy credit cards, yeah. and you were somebody if you had one of those cards. Somebody like, in the, look, look who I am. Yeah, you know, below Fourteenth yeah. Street. Yeah, you were somebody, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and so yeah, they were all hanging around there, and Danny, I was crashing at Danny's house thinking about my next move, and uh, a man named Steve Paul who was flogging the Winter Brothers at the time. He managed the Winter Brothers. He had something called Good Blue Sky Records. Edgar and Johnny. Yeah, he was talking to me about yeah. doing something. He wanted, like everybody else, he wanted me to get rid of those dirty stooges and we'll get you with a nice guitar player. Yeah, and you know, yeah. and I didn't feel, I, I thought that was going to amount to uh, identity theft. I had right. a feeling I couldn't survive that at the time. Well, you, you guys know? were an organic unit. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I, I was who I was through them. Right, you know, it and wasn't also you're like, you're pretty fragile in a weird way, right? I mean, yes. you're, because there, yeah, you know, one thing about you that has always come through is this this strange anarchic vulnerability. Well, this is true. Yeah, yeah so I like know. you know, the, the idea of you being pulled away from your no. drive shaft. I mean, are you, who the hell knows what would have happened, right? I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like I'm somebody little, better take care of that guy. I, I'm a little bit like Big Bird or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, yeah, they were around, and uh, they made a pitch, mm. you know, and uh, it sounded good to me. And I thought, well, their pitch was the same pitch, you know, get rid of the Dirty Stooges. But these people, I could tell, were people who would respect me as an artist on right. a certain level. Mm -hmm. Whereas Steve would just get a sign here, sign your life away, and then he'd get a whip and flog me to death on the blue, blues circuit right. until I dropped dead, you know, that's, <laughs> or went cross-eyed. So you have that, you know? that old school mentality, yeah, like, you're yeah, just gonna yeah. put me out there that's and run me what down. It would, that's what it yeah. would have been, you know. So I thought, well, I think these artiste people are a, a better, a fit. better bet, yeah. better fit, you know. So. Kind of went that way, yeah. you know, and uh, and uh, so you, yeah, so you and Bowie worked on the last Stooges album. Well, not really. No, that was all. I he he was ready to do that, but um, the Stooge, uh, the new Stooge, Williamson wouldn't have been comfortable. I wouldn't have been comfortable with Bowie around with him doing that. He we had a we had a little meeting about it in a cafe, and uh, you and James. No, me and Bowie. Yeah. We sat there with like some sugar cubes and tea. Yeah, and uh, and he says, "So, do you want me to produce this?" And I said, "No, no, thanks, because I have a particular." Thing, which is true even before I met him I already knew what Mach 3 I could hear it in my head Yeah. so this was something I had to do he's really talented and energetic and what would have happened was if he'd come in he would have had three great songs for us yeah. that would have defined us and we never would have found our own personality we would have become Mata Hoople right. and, and even, <laughs> even if he didn't even if he didn't push right. that what yeah. would have happened would, would have been the record company would have said we don't want songs by these guys get, there, get that great guy to write we want that song yeah, the nice that, songs that, that's, yeah, yeah well yeah. And, and they're very good songs, you sure. know. So so we did our own thing, and then what happened was toward the end of it, I became unsound. 
<laughs> and I started Rob, getting at the end of Rob Power. Yeah, I yeah. started getting deranged. I, I'm I'm not qualified to mix a record. I kept trying to mix it, and no matter what I did, it didn't sound evil and uh, yeah. scratchy <laughs> enough, and, and like it was gonna blow things yeah. up. I would carrying it around America. I went on I went on a radio show in Detroit, and yeah. I thought maybe I said, "Wait, well, I'll play you the, these unmixed tapes, or maybe if I strip naked, I'll have a flash, an insight." <laughs> so I stripped naked, and the yeah, yeah, and the yeah. DJ is telling me, "But Iggy is naked in the studio now," <laughs> and um, it's like you lost and they it. were they yeah. they were afraid that they'd lose their license, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. So, so you know, eventually I was the. Main man just said, "David will remix the record." <laughs> we've decided. Yeah, we've decided, and, I, and at that point, you know, I was brought to ground. I was tired. I said, "You know what? Okay." And so the, the three of us, he and I, and Williamson, went into a a little. It was either Western. I think it was Western Recorders. One of the old school Elvisy studios. Elvis, uh, you know, one of those old Chestnut studios yeah. on Sunset, and. Uh, and we in Hollywood with an old board, yeah. And and we mixed it, and it sounded great in the studio, and it still sounds great. There's a lot of treble. Mm. They put the voice way up, which was embarrassing, but on the other hand, that makes it because you can really hear the words sure, and sure. the personality. And I I wouldn't have done that. I did a remix of it for for Knuckleheads later, because. You know, the band hated it, and I kind of hated it because it didn't. What, Bowie's mix? Yeah, because it didn't have the big old kazoombas. Right, right, It didn't right. have the big bass and all this. But on the other hand, I, I came to realize later, it really didn't need that shit. Right. He he did a good mix. But doesn't Rollins have a mix of yours? Well, no, Rollins found the tapes again later, and, and so he, oh, he, he wanted it, right. to mix them, and I said, no, I'll do it myself. Yeah. And I did. I did the loudest mix ever done of Raw Power. Yeah, so yeah. Loudest record anyone's ever made. <laughs> but because I wanted to get it, at that time, it was all these guys lifting weights and listening to new metal, right? right? And they couldn't hear us because we didn't sound loud enough. Right, right, And that's right. how stupid this is. So there's a lot of stupid people out here are ready to listen to our music. Yeah. Well, you know, and I know just what to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I just yeah. turn it up and turn it. So I, I did that. And the, the, the Berlin period there, so you were out of your mind and you went and then you recorded with David the two records? Yeah, I, I sort of ended I became a colorful semi-person here around the streets of Hollywood, yeah. basically. <laughs> There's Iggy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there were a lot of people, you know, it's funny, All the a lot of the Higgs, the huge industry giants, yeah. they wanted to meet me because those guys, once they get to a certain point, they realize, geez, you know, it's, it's like a million guys that can play and sing just like me, and they get interested in what what does this all mean? What's the angle? What's the personality? Yeah, so yeah. they would want to meet me and see if they could pick something out. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So How I would we meet, fit this guy like, into a I box? Was, yeah, I was hanging around yeah. with Danny Hutton and uh, Brian Wilson and yeah, yeah. Alice Cooper and all these, 
you know, Hollywood. But did, did you feel like you had, you'd been spat out, or you'd had your time, or you were wandering, uh, or lost? Or I felt I was. I, all I was trying to do was always keep making art. Yeah. And that's why I, we did this Kill City album with Williamson. James Williamson, that's great. Yeah, that's he, great. He thought it was a demo. I I thought I was making hot. If it, if I'd sung it as a demo, I would have sung something about your lovely, beautiful loveliness. Yeah, and yeah, fuck yeah. that, you know. And I'm singing, you know. I'm basically saying early Elroy on that you know it's it's noir yeah. you know I sang about how I found this place and some of the some of the things I expressed came out later in uh the rap stuff the right, LA right. rap stuff yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and um so uh, I just kept trying to make some kind of art and I would from time to time I would try these demo sessions with Bowie but they would mostly be two out there and then all of a sudden a couple of the ideas started to click and uh, he said, well, we could make, he was going on a long tour. He needed a buddy who could hang. Yeah. His last buddy had gone Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't comfortable. So he was looking for somebody uh, different. And uh, also he had a production talent and yeah. a production company. Right. So he was looking for, it was okay for him to do something for me. And uh, and he made a very informal proposition. And I thought, well, this, uh, we, I heard some demos and I was on them and I thought, ooh, I sound good. Yeah. Uh, this is a whole other thing to do. I thought we'd burned out the Stooges thing. At the time, you know, the New York Dolls were writing more clever songs and they were cuter yeah. and looked more like established pop stars. Right. And I thought, you know, we've done what we're going to do for a while. Right. That's what I thought. And then you, that's when you guys did The Idiot? We did The Idiot and then uh, toured that and then very quickly did Lust for Life. Yeah, and, those are know, fucking amazing. Those two are amazing. Are yeah. you proud of them? I'm extremely proud of those two records. Yes, yeah. I am. Yeah. And we, uh, we didn't really cover, where, how did James Williamson come into the mix with you? I mean, how, where'd you meet him? Well, he was he had been in a, the, a group called The Chosen Few with Ron Ashton okay. and a guy named Scott Richardson who was in SRC later, in, uh, an area singer. Yeah. And, uh, these were guys, Michigan in, guys. Yeah, Mich that these are a different kind of Michigan guys in the MC5. These guys, these guys were more from uh, a more upscale bedroom community and uh, without much parental supervision. And their thing was like to drive out to the airport and pretend that they were a British rock band that had just flown in <laughs> and try to pick up girls, right? It was more like that, right? Yeah, yeah they had a scam, and, a hustle. Yeah, they had a, they had a hustle, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So James was more like that, and he'd done a little reform school time, and, you know, so uh, he, we had heard, I had heard, uh, hey, there's a guy around who's a hot guitar player, so that was basically, that was James. yeah. And we, now he's back with you, which is a great story, because well, he went out and what built a life in the tech industry. And yes, then, he did. And yeah. you went and got him for yeah. the new Stooges. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it happened to, just happened to coincide that uh, they they gave him early, they farmed him out about the same time that, uh, that uh, Ron had passed away, and uh, I... I thought, well, what should I do next? I, I want to do my own stuff sometime. Yeah. But at that time, a couple, three years ago, I thought I should try to do a good job of finishing up the group. You know, there's part of it is like, 
in in one real corny way, I think of myself as kind of like George Washington. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like for this group. I founded this thing, and then there's been a lot of complaints about my early leadership. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, right? So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we have the second chance yeah. here. Everybody gets to make yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. Everybody gets to buy a house and yeah, then make yeah. your own mistakes right. or whatever you want to do. But yeah. the, the, the music has been brought up into the light, played properly you know that sort of thing so i thought well let's let's get williamson and do this that's great and then he yeah. didn't he cut his chops on a stooges cover band didn't he like learn all the songs like i read some piece somewhere oh well he he no he went yeah when he was it helped him as he was rehearsing up yeah. the stuff it's really hard to rehearse heavy rock all alone right like if you're john fahey yeah you can rehearse your stuff all right, alone right, like right. in a room like this yeah. so there was a there was a band up in San Jose yeah, that yeah. knew all our stuff and he'd play in a That's bar hilarious. on the weekends with them. Yeah. Well, the, you know the thing is, like you know, because we don't have a lot of time. I just uh, you, you know the solo career. I mean, you've done you know amazing. The, all of it is amazing. Every few years, you know, every record, you know, you bring yourself to it. And I, and one of the questions because I don't want to disregard all that stuff because it's some of my favorite records. But uh, in the sense that we don't have time. But like my question is, as a guy who writes all his own songs, when you're doing music, I mean, the, the I have to assume that the the it's a collaborative effort for you to get the sound you want because you're you're bringing in songs and then you deal with any number of musicians. This How does it. the sound come? This is it. Well, it's it's different with every bunch. Like let's say you do Don Was. Yeah. Uh, you've got a bunch of songs, and the way I play them, it it, it just sounds like some kid in eighth grade right right, right. but you but the song forms are there right. and then he just has this had a role what they called a rolodex at the time yeah. in 1990 and the next thing you know you've got you know the stones bass player right right john cougar mellencamp's drummer and then david mansfield yeah, I yeah, had. Yeah. so you get all these like really expensive guys you know and they just come in and they pee all over your record and <laughs> and, and play the way they're gonna and and for me, the kind of I, I come in and do that, and they're amazing. And then I need to go to Mexico for a year and just just <laughs> right, calm right. down because you know it's it's this sort of American perfectionism. Sure. It's great and everything, but it's coming from a different place. Well, and, who are your but, favorite? Producers? But when yeah. I listen back, I have to admit. Uh, like the way I like to listen to my music the best is I'm hanging around somewhere and it, and it it sneaks up on me like I hear a, something coming from a bar yeah, while yeah. I'm walking down the street. I say, "Who's that? Yeah, yeah. That's you." You know, because I don't hear that well. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. my ears are blown. Is it me? Really? That sounds good. And that'll be like candy, candy. I say, "Wow, those guys can really play." You know, but at the time, I'm really oversensitive. Yeah, I'm like, right. You don't get in my way, and you L.A. guys just think you're all so effing cool, and you've got your big boxes full of fancy instruments, and uh, you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. sort of like that. And then with some some other things like I'll bring in like a guy like Whitey, you yeah, know, who's right. totally salt of the earth, and then the producer will be scared of him. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's just a street kid. Yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. Right, he's you your buffer. Yeah, yeah, right, like, you know, yeah. he's gonna do what he's gonna do. Yeah. So it just depends. It all depends. And honestly, and they what, all know you though. I mean, yeah, they they they're trying to honor you. They are trying in some way or another, usually. Yeah. And then, but they do have their own agendas. Right. You know, but that's okay. It just everything varies. Sometimes now I, I do guest work and I just work to track. Yeah, they send me a track and I say, yeah, okay. Either at, they ask me to write to it or just to sing something. I'll say, okay, I can do that, and I do it by and, myself, you know. And working with Mike Watt, who's like the legend. Yeah, that must be pretty amazing. Well, he is. He 
is he's he's deranged, but he's a very very uh, uniquely dedicated person, and and the the great thing about him is his constancy, mm-hmm. and he has been there solid. for us. He's solid. been there solid for us for over ten years now. Well, and uh, he is a hard worker, and uh, he's a salt of the earth. Yeah. He really is. That's cool, man. And the new record's great. Ready to die, right? Here's yeah, new ready record. to die. The man. weirdness was great, and you know, I love uh, Preliminaries. I love that record. Well, thank you. I, I enjoy the French stuff, and mm-hmm. I did a I did a follow up to Preliminary that you can't even get in America, huh? Uh, okay. <laughs> Called a prey. Okay, well, <laughs> sounds cool. like a perfume, doesn't yeah, 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 yeah. it? <laughs> sounds like. But I just did. Uh, that's just uh, five French torch songs, and then I did five uh, songs like that Sinatra would have done in his yeah, Del so Canto. Yeah, so you're kind of pushing it, man. I, I just wanted to do something different. I even I sang Michelle by the Beatles. Oh, <laughs> I gotta get that now. Yeah, yeah. Get I'll, I'll, I'll send you one. All right. So well, it's, I, yeah, it's been a fucking honor, man. Hey, terrific! I'm uh, so uh, thrilled that uh, you know you you did this shirtless. Fucking cool. That's it, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. I, I did all the, all that I could in the time that I had. It was a real honor to have Iggy. It's a real honor to have you people listening. It's very exciting that this is the 400th episode. Uh, I, I don't know what to say. I, I had no idea we would all be where we are now. I don't, I don't mean to be effusive with gratitude, but it, the fact that I'm experiencing gratitude is a good thing because sometimes I blow right by it. But thank you for listening. I'm not going to do plugs here at the end. I'm not going to... Well, you can go to WTFPod.com and do whatever you're going to do. I'm in New York. Cheech and Chong is on Thursday. It's a big week. That was amazing. Iggy Pop and Cheech and Chong in one week. Amazing. Boomer lives. You know, I didn't really see all of the other... (laughs) It doesn't sound like you watch... I don't. I don't. I don't watch. You don't anything. watch your own movies. You, you get bits and pieces. Of what I do you, know. What do you walk by the den where your kids watching television? Like, oh, I was in that. Is that how am I doing? I gotta go. <laughs> 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 did this seventeen years ago. How am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> You're all right. The Actors Gang was like the clash yeah. of theater companies. Right. It was politically active, and and yeah, there was a point to it. Were you politically active? Not so much, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to be. Marin. She yeah. works with autistic kids and she makes a dollar. Yeah. She's the greatest person you will ever know. She's the best. She's the best person in the world. Okay. I love her. <laughs> You're going to make me cry. Oh my I'm God. To, I'm not supposed to cry. <laughs> you got to uh, imagine what would it be like yeah. for you? Yeah. What's your first wife's name? Uh, Kim. Kim. Yeah. What would it be like for you mm-hmm. if every time you left up your house, yeah. every day, yeah. for the rest of your life, <laughs> between five and ten people, between the time you left your house and got back home, yeah. came up to you and said, Hey, how's Kim? You <laughs> talked to Kim lately? Oh, yeah, I remember you with Kim. Oh, weren't, you, weren't you married to that Kim? <laughs> Welcome to my life. I had no idea it would be a hit. Yeah. I thought, well... Maybe it'll run for, for, you know. Yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, what What do you live for? Yeah. You, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll live occasionally, you live for a grilled cheese sandwich and fun. Yeah.